how can something simple like gardening make a difference in how I share my faith with other people? We're going to talk about that next on the Monday Christian Podcast. listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there. Welcome to another edition of the Monday Christian Podcast. And as we get into the summer months, finally, up in Canada here, or Toronto where I'm at, we're finally getting rid of our snow, so that's a good thing. Uh, but as we get into these summer months, something that some of you are going to be doing that uh, I will probably be doing very little of is gardening. And uh, so this topic that we're going to cover today is a little bit out of my league, but I wanted to bring on my friend Justin J- Jones, um, who pastors, is a pastor on staff at Eastern Hills Wesleyan Church. I've gotten to know him just a little bit over the last little while. He's written a new book called Seed Life, and he talks about just the comparison between uh, gardening and and the, the seeds that we sow in, in a physical reality and how that compares to the spiritual sense. So if you're a gardener or someone who's kind of interested in this topic, I think you'll find this conversation today really interesting, and it might give you some fresh purpose and meaning as you uh, go out into the backyard and and till or or um, use a rake or you know whatever it is that you do, whether you're on a tractor or, or whatever it is, um, I just hope that this conversation is helpful. So let's go ahead and get into that right now. My guest on today's podcast is Justin Jones, and he is the Director of Spiritual Formation at Eastern Hills Wesleyan Church, uh, close to Buffalo, not too, uh, not too far away from there. And Justin and I connected uh, just a few weeks ago when we, my wife and I went down and visited his church, and uh, he's recently written a new book on uh, called Seed Life. And uh, so I just thought, especially, uh, you can guess from that title, it's, uh, it deals a little bit with gardening. And so I thought, especially going into these summer months, it'd be cool to have him come on and just share some of this. So, Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, why don't just I always have our guests share a little bio, just a brief snippet of who they are, what they're about, and just kind of how they came to faith in Christ, and just a you know a quick soundbite of their spiritual journey. For sure, yeah. So I grew up in on southern Pennsylvania, and I grew up in a pastor's home, and uh, was in a couple different churches, and uh, uh, one large church particular uh, in southern Pennsylvania with my dad as I grew up, and so got to observe ministry there. I came to faith that, they said at three years old, I was walking around at weddings, like holding my Bible upside down, preaching heresy to people, but you know, I kind of always thought I would get into ministry and stuff like that. You didn't have your theology all lined up at that point, eh? Yeah, yeah, I had some work to do for sure. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I came to know Christ at a young age, um, five or six, and um, but my journey took a little, a couple turns where uh, really just dealing with like the reasoning aspect of it. And so um, when I was in junior high, just dealing with some questions of doubt. But I think what that did is help bolster me into really taking my faith on as my own. And um, 
so, I mean, it was a difficult time in my faith journey, but I think it helped me to really establish my own faith there. And then as I got towards college, I felt like I was called to ministry. And finally, around um, my freshman year, really felt a serious call to ministry uh, for intellectual justice and helping people be freed from lies. And um, so I've been here in Buffalo for about 10 years now as a pastor. I did college ministry for a while. And about three years now, I've been doing uh, spiritual formation at the church and uh, some strategic things just to help the church run effectively and stuff. So I'm just curious, uh, being in Buffalo, uh, some of the people listening might be curious, what's the spiritual climate around that area? Is it, have you found it, because you've lived what, in Pennsylvania, I think in Indiana as well, is that right? Um, yeah, I've been in Indiana for a couple of years, yep. How does it differ from, I know it's different than Toronto a little bit, how, how does, what's the spiritual climate like around there? I was kind of surprised when I moved here that um, when I grew up in Pennsylvania, I would say at least the area of Pennsylvania I was in and Indiana, um, especially Indiana, felt a little bit more like the Bible Belt. You know, there was more of an openness to Christianity. And moving to Buffalo, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of assumed that things weren't going to be as kind of open and that there would be some resistance. And there definitely is. You know, a lot of people around here, between the weather and the bills being so bad for so long you know they yeah exactly <laughs> and yours and, and the sabers too i'm a hockey fan so i gotta throw them and in the too. Sabres too for sure yeah. yeah so between those three things you know like they, there's a lot of um ups and downs and kind of uh low points and people and a lot of depression but surprisingly moving here there's really been an awakening here in the past 10 15 years of just different churches and different uh, ministries just seeing god do some really cool stuff so although there's more of a resistance to the gospel kind of up front, um, God's been uniting the churches. <clears throat> we actually had a, a thing probably five or six years ago now where we had a hundred and some different churches gathered downtown as kind of a sign of unity and uh, pursuing of the gospel. So there's kind of like an awakening in some of the churches here, which is really cool. Yeah, that's um, really but, exciting. Yeah. That's neat. Well, let's get into your book here, and I'll be honest, you're touching on a topic that some in our audience might get but I do not. So how did you first get into gardening and how did that all come about? So my sister-in-law is an agricultural missionary in, um, in Zambia and now in Congo. And she started a ministry um, under the Overland Missions. There's a great missions organization called Overland. And her program in particular is called Sustain. So she started that up. She's developed it now into at least several different countries where it's um, ministering to. But in the times I got to talk to her, I never grew anything growing up. Like, I, I never really had that opportunity. I just didn't take that opportunity, you know. So I, I had no idea what any gardening stuff was all about until I met her. And uh, my wife says that, you know, sometimes uh, women marry their dads or whatever. She says that um, she married her sister in male form because like um, her sister <laughs> are just really similar people. We have the same books, the same likes, um, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, so I got to talking to her. She does this for a living. I got interested in kind of hearing what she does. And so five or six years ago, my wife thought it'd be kind of fun for us to do. And, and I decided, Hey, let's just do this. So I picked up a book one day and just started diving into it. And I didn't realize how intense I would become about it, but within you know two or three years, I got hooked. And so now we live in a place where we can have a lot bigger gardens. We we farm almost a quarter of an acre now. And um, so, yeah, it's pretty fun. I love doing it. So. That's awesome. And so you talk, um, basically the whole, you've written, this is your third book, is that correct? Right, yep. 
And briefly, what were the first two about, and why'd you, why did you kind of decide? Uh, I like to write as well, and so I notice uh, often there's a progression as a writer where for different seasons in your life, you feel kind of led or drawn to write on different things. So what, what kind of led you to write on this topic? It, obviously, your own personal experience, but what, kind of walk us through that journey. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, why I started writing these books is I went from in my college ministry times of preaching 60 times a year or something. And, and it was just a different kind of uh, uh, pattern or, or season to the way things were going. And so I started this spiritual formation position and I was hired on to, to basically reformat and help people kind of say, how can we get people through this pathway and journey towards passionate following of Jesus and um, so I was praying about that, and the Lord really can, convicted me of the sense of, we had been doing these studies at the church for years and years and years, um, six weeks every spring. And so the Lord kind of brought to mind how I could kind of have this progression through, um, at our church we talk about discovering, becoming, and engaging. So discovering who God is, becoming more like Jesus, and then um, engaging every person in the process. And so um, God kind of laid on my heart these three books and this progression building on one another. And some of the big themes that connected the three is just this sense of progression. Um, you know, what the first book is called Engage, How to Know God. And I just basically uh, take the foundations of faith and kind of lay them out in a way of um, that the gospel isn't just a moment. There's, a, there's things that lead you to accepting Jesus and surrendering your life to him. There's things that come after as well. And so a process-oriented um, thing in that. The second book was called Reboot, Becoming a Passionate Follower of Jesus Christ, really tackling more discipleship issues and apathy. And so in the same way, it's talking about how do you kind of rewire, let God rewire uh, what happens inside of you uh, to become a passionate follower. And so the same thing in Seed Life. It was a little bit of a writing um, point from the progression standpoint with Seed Life, but similar thing. It was to take that third point of engaging every person. How could I put that in the sense of um, the way it was today? And one of the big themes I wanted to use throughout the three books, too, was to have a kind of a, a picture as a backdrop. So the reboot book was about using computers kind of as an analogy to explain Second Peter. And so um, when I got to this one, I just, you know, with all the parables of Jesus dealing with gardening, it just seemed to make sense. And so that's kind of the direction I started going with that. I love your analogy you share about, you'll know what I'm talking about here, about tilling the garden. and yeah. And... I want to. I want you to explain the difference between what you call soil building and soil tilling. And I'm going to say that with the caveat that um, just if you look outside in our backyard, <laughs> if we were to show the audience out there, um, I recently tilled almost the whole backyard. So I think I broke all of the principles that you're about to share. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah. we had a very lumpy backyard and messed up. So um, right. explain what you mean by that. The difference between soil building and, and soil tilling. And how yeah. it applies to us spiritually as well. So my, my sister-in-law, and when we've talked, and, and some of the study I've done since then has been in the area of permaculture, and she talks a lot about just the soil and microorganisms, and just a lot of the um, study that people are doing nowadays with that kind of stuff talks a lot about microorganisms in the soil. And, um, you know, for a long, long time, people just kind of considered tilling the only way to go because you got to loosen up the soil somehow. And so they would till, either use a, a big machine or a big tractor or just using their hands, kind of tilling the soil and, and turning it over. But it's a really aggressive approach. Um, that's kind of the way people have always done it. But what they found, actually, biologists have found that that starts to kill off the microorganisms that actually make your soil healthy. 
And so in permaculture and some other no-till uh, gardening methods, it's all about building soil. And all that means is that you, you kill off the grass by putting a layer of cardboard or something underneath. And then you start to just build good compost and good soil on top of it. And what that actually does over time is it starts to uh, kind of form the ground underneath it into good soil as well. So instead of killing the microorganisms, you're actually allowing them to do their work. And so in the book, I just use that as an example that a lot of times it seems like we dive in to try to share the gospel with people and we almost kind of go in like we're killing. We're just kind of really actively, passionately, kind of aggressively going in to talk to people about Jesus. But the picture that came to mind, um, talking about the kingdom of God the whole way through, is just this picture that God plants us like a plant and then he can prune us. He can prune things out of us. And by doing that, one of the important ways you can build soil is something called chop and drop. And what that means is you take a plant that's healthy, you prune it and take some of the um, extra stuff that's on it out and you lay that on the soil. And over time, as that starts to break down, that actually feeds the soil. And so when we're soil building, it's, it's less about an aggressive approach, especially in this postmodern world where I think those aggressive approaches don't work quite as well anymore. I think it's so important that we take the idea, you know, in different countries, you know, in parts of Africa where my sister-in-law is, we were talking about it and she said, you know, and she helped to write this book too. So we talked a lot about this stuff, but you know, she said over there, you can be a little more aggressive in your approach because they're used to spirituality. You just got to kind of convince them that Jesus is the right answer, you know, but right. in yeah. a post-Christian, post-modern worldview area, like we're in, you know, it makes it a such a thing that, you know, I feel like it's so much more important that we just build soil over time. And that starts with God pruning stuff out of us so that we can be in a place to be used by him. So, You're going to love this quick story. Um, when I was growing up, I remember there was a, uh, a friend of ours, and um, he was a—you um, could describe him as a tiller, a heavy tiller, like the the heaviest tiller that you could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so— <laughs> I'm laughing as as I recall this. He he would um, he would take this back in the days of audio cassettes. He would go into um, uh, uh, like I guess Radio Shack type of type of stores and uh-huh. find a cassette player and he would put about maybe thirty seconds of dry audio, walk out of the store and leave it with him preaching the gospel on the uh, on the cassette player <laughs> for everyone else in the store to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like that that is that is a very aggressive way of preaching yeah. the gospel. Not the boldest way, I have to admit, but uh, <laughs> so that would uh, that would be I'm guessing that's the opposite of the way you're you're uh, teaching here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um so I I love that and and in um in our culture we uh, as as Christians within the church, you have a, a you have a good sized church at close to Buffalo, and what's been some of the challenges that you've had of of maybe people that have come to your church for years and years of helping them see just the importance of being that soil builder, being that person that is just constantly sowing seeds in the lives of of other people. Yeah, well, I think. Um... There's two things I've been thinking about with that. You know, I think if we as a church hadn't gone through what we talked about in the first two books I'd written or some of the things that we've been doing over the past couple of years that our, our pastor's been leading us through, I feel like we wouldn't be prepared to kind of accept this the way it needs to be accepted. Um, even last year, we were talking about reboot and dealing with apathy. Because if we're apathetic and we're in a place where we just don't even want to be passionate about Jesus, then, you know, 
your attention is not really even going to be on having a seed life. You're going to be on all, all kinds of other things, you know? So I think part of it is that, um, and so I feel like our church is at a good spot because we've kind of been building towards that to some extent. Um, but on the other side, I think if you are a passionate follower of Jesus or even a follower of Jesus, I haven't met too many of those people that legitimately, if they really want to follow Jesus, don't want to share the gospel with other people. I just think people have so much fear about it. And so that's what I write about at the beginning of Seed Life, how even for me growing up, I just didn't see myself as somebody that could just go walk up to somebody. And I just kind of felt like, well, I can't, I'm not charismatic enough for that. I don't know how to have these conversations. And so I, I felt like if I could just help people really see that this is a lot simpler and put it within the context of the kingdom of God, you know, so it's not just on its own, but help people understand even what the term the kingdom of God means and how that's a part of what Jesus is teaching about. I think having that plus the, the easy tools to let kind of let them off the hook. You know, we found as we've been talking to people as they've gone through this, it kind of lets them off the hook that they have to be, it's all about them. It's all about what they're doing. It's really all about what God's doing. We're just kind of joining him in the process and we just need to follow his lead. And I think it's given people a little more freedom to step away from that fear and kind of step into that, um, because I really do think at the end, if you really want to follow Jesus, people really do want to share the gospel. They just don't know how in this day and age. It's not easy. You know, there's no yeah three-step three process to make it happen. You know, it, it takes an intentional, constant, everyday kind of lifestyle um, to, to do that, you know. so I'm putting you on the spot, but if you can, give me an example or two of someone in your church that um, has put that into practice in— just kind of illustrates what you're talking about, whether they're in a specific field of industry and, and kind of, and they're able to uh, just throughout the course of their work day or yeah. maybe it's, you know, give us an example if you can there. Yeah. We've had a couple, um, a couple people that are really kind of just seen, there was one guy I was talking to the other day and um, he's a younger guy, works at a company, gets to work early every day. And he just realized that every single morning, he's there before a lot of other people, except the janitor, the night janitor is kind of going by him every day. And every single day, they kind of have this moment where they say hi to each other. And I think they might chat a little bit and then he walks away. And he said it was strange because he kind of knows all this stuff intellectually, but it just dawned on him as he was going through seed life. No way. Like, this is a chance to have a seed life. Like, if I would just take this more intentionally and understand what God could do in this moment. Maybe God's put me in this position to talk to this guy, and I'm missing it every day. And so it's a chance for him to see that differently. Also, there's been a guy in our small group that um, that is part of Homeland Security, and so he's he's got some like he's one of those guys that every time we're talking, I kind of want to be like, dude, what do you do? You know, yeah. and he they give you so much because he's doing all this other stuff. But he's been talking about you know ways that he wants to change some of the the ways he does things at work um, to to change how he has to interrogate people and, and different stuff like that and talking to his boss and then talking to some of the young guys around him. He's just been passing on stuff constantly. It, it kind of gave him a freedom to talk to his boss about some issues and his boss kind of heard about the Lord through that. And then some of the other friends there um, were, were able to see that as he kind of passed on books to them and other resources. So it's been really cool. That's that's really neat. I, I like the idea. I I really like that idea of that soil building versus tilling. And and listen, I, I'm I know there are some great tillers, right? There are some people that have right. done that effectively, and and but I would say the vast majority of and especially in Toronto and and sounds like in Buffalo as well, 
um, a lot of times that approach uh, just doesn't doesn't go anywhere. You kind of drop a landmine on someone, you walk away, right. <laughs> and yeah. um, yeah, nothing. No relationship is really established, and so it's it's yeah. tough to to see much traction. Um, you get into okay, so we're going to go out of my league here. So I'm going to have to stick close to my notes for this next section <laughs> here. But you you also get into um, genetically altered seeds, and I found this this part was really interesting. So I want you to unpack this. And how uh, you said how how I don't want to misquote you here, but how basically manufacturers of seed companies they'll they'll design their seeds in such a way so they basically don't reproduce or you can't take them I guess and, and generate produce again I'm I'm stretching here <laughs> um, uh, the, the following year and they do it so that way you have to keep coming back to them year after year. Um, mm-hmm. So first, fix anything that I said wrong. But but next, it, it, unpack that and explain uh, the spiritual implications of that because this part I, I really found interesting. Yeah. So yeah, the whole middle section of the book is if it's called seed life, just talking about sowing seeds. And um, but the first part of that was just asking the question: How do we sow the right kind of seed? And and you're spot on there um, with that. So there's three different main kinds of seed that you can find. There's heirloom type of varieties or um, varieties that are open pollinated is what they're called. And so those are things that have just developed over the years. Uh, they're just kind of naturally let go. And what happens out of those is there's these consistent breeds, that are these old-time breeds that have just been there for a long time. And then there's hybrid seeds, and that's where somebody intentionally cross-pollinates two different plants. And um, it's kind of rocky when that first happens. You know, things get kind of funky with what the plants produce, but over time that starts to stabilize. Um, but it can be dangerous to cross-pollinate things if you don't know what you're doing. And then there's genetically modified plants, which a lot of our corn crops, soybean crops, um, a lot of things that, that major farmers do are GMO crops and genetically modified, and they actually put a kill switch. So they, they develop, um, they deal with the genes, go to the genetic level, put all kinds of stuff in, and, and generally what they're doing is they're trying to pr- produce plants that don't die when you spray them with really harsh chemicals. And so everything else dies, but the plant itself doesn't. Um, but what one of the things they do, too, just to make money, is that they put a kill switch in it, basically, that says that it will never reproduce after one season. So back in the day, farmers, they would grow corn, and then they'd just harvest some of their own corn and plant that again um, by just collecting the seed and replanting it. Uh, this makes it so they have to go back to the company every single year for that seed. Which and is so, so sneaky. It's, I know, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It just seems wrong, right? You know, cause God gave us these um, plants to be generating of seeds, you know. And um, so that's why people have some issues with GMO. But I, I compare that to how I see a lot of things in the church, too, or when we're trying to sow the gospel into people's lives, that sometimes we have cross-pollinated seed. And uh, so the heirloom or open-pollinated is more like the, just the gospel, just the straight-up gospel. Uh, but this cross-pollinated is saying that a lot of times what we do is we take Jesus plus something, you know, Jesus plus positive thinking or Jesus plus legalism or um, just almost anything, you know, Jesus plus the idol that I'm dealing with or whatever. And we don't realize that actually as we're showing that seed into other people, we're kind of saying, yeah, follow Jesus plus follow this other thing. We think we're passing on the real gospel, but it's really, it's skewing things for people and it's hard for them to see. And then I talk about GMO um, faith or GMO seeds that we plant just being those things where they, um, I, I use the term goals-based moralistic opinions. And um, I, I think there's so many churches and so many places that out of 
um, what they feel like is a good heart because they're really trying to relate to culture. All that faith boils down to for them in the end is just this goals-based moralistic opinions that um, it's not what about God saying, it's about my own opinions, it's just about being a good person. It's a lot of principle-based type stuff. And at the end of the day, it's just you know setting goals for people, just do these three things or go to this place. And just how if we sow that kind of faith and we think that's what's going to change people, that it'll never do that in the end. You know, it'll always break down into just being, you know, um, just fake faith, you know, and we'll pretend that we're doing church, but we're not really following Jesus in the end. So we, we just got to make sure that we're not sowing that into other people. And that starts with us asking what's, what's been sown into us and how do we know what kind of faith we're passing on to um, other people through that. So that Jesus plus part that you talk about um, really hits home because I think we see that play out a lot. And when that plays out, when it's Jesus plus, it often becomes more about the plus than Jesus, doesn't it? (laughs) And and, you know, it's interesting just around the corner from our house, not too far. um, There is a uh, church and the pastor is a committed atheist. She's been in the New York times. um, (laughs) It made a lot of headlines in Canada, Uh, open atheist, but it's a church. And, I've I've often uh, joked and I've said you know what she is actually a little bit more honest <laughs> than some some other pastors who basically <laughs> and some other Christians who basically settle for some you know something that is very very different than the gospel presented in scripture and uh, okay, so um when you talk about that and that this Jesus plus lifestyle cycle how do um what are some of the the pitfalls that are easy for christians to fall into you talked about jesus plus uh, i think in your book you talked about jesus plus politics is one of them jesus you know there's so many different different things what are some some pitfalls that we need to avoid uh as christians in sharing that seed you mean uh yeah just just in terms of of making sure that we don't yeah we don't fall into that uh, that trap of going to Jesus plus something else. Yeah, I think I think one of the first things we got to look at is just to say what was sown into us. I think there's power in us remembering our spiritual journey and just um, thinking back, not not in a negative or skeptical way necessarily, but just saying like what was sown into me. Because I think I think all of us um, we had people that were well-meaning that sowed faith into us, and we just got to understand like what was coming into us at that point and. And did we go back then and test what was given to us? Because I think a lot of times what people end up doing is just taking what was given to them and, and passing it on without thinking about it. And I think that's a lot of times where we get into Jesus plus legalism in particular or um, Jesus plus politics or things like that where there's a sense in which, well, that's just how it always has been. And that's just what it is, right? So because I saw my parents, my grandparents, or I saw my church growing up be like this, you know, I... I um, was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago that he was part of a very distinct kind of um, discipleship, almost like a cult kind of thing. And so it, trying to figure out, okay, so what was going into you at that point? What's the good stuff and maybe what's not so good stuff? What's the plus that you need to get rid of? So I think part of it is that. And I think the other part is just looking at what are we giving our hearts to in idolatry? Because at the end of the day, I mean, the, the ways that we kind of give our hearts to things instead of Jesus asking the question, like, am I willing to offer this to God, or is this more important? You know, some people get so passionate about politics to the extent that, you know, if Jesus would tell them to, to vote for a different person or do something different, that, you know, that would just be, 
they would say, no, of course not, you know. And so asking those tough questions of saying, like, is this more about what Jesus wants or is this more about just what I want or I feel like is most important, I think can be a, an important way to go, too, to think about it. You know, um, talk about sharing the gospel in, in, in relation to seed sowing in the lives of other people. Um, several years ago, I uh, was working on a project um, from Ecclesiastes, and uh, where it talks about cast your bread on the surface of the waters, and, and um, you know, basically sow your seed as, as a farmer does all, you know, because you don't know when it's going to, to return, and that it happens in so many different ways. I think as Christians, um, I think in your book you agree with this, that we struggle to sow um, a lot of seed, and so as a result, we struggle to reap the harvest from that. Mm-hmm. What do you envision? Like, what's what's a, if someone were to say, hey, okay, so how, what's a typical, I know this would be so different for so many different people, but what's a typical seed life look like Monday through Friday? How would you envision that? Yeah. One of my, I, I don't feel like this happened as much with the other books, but for this one, there was a one particular part of this book that was just, I, I was so excited to write, and a couple, a handful of pages right in the middle of the book um, that had to do with kingdom potential, and just talking about sowing enough seed. I give the example in there that if we, if if we took what our lives are normally like, where we occasionally sow a seed here or there, when you ask a normal person that comes to church, like, when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody or just talked to somebody about something that would lead to faith. And they're like, well, you know, four or five years ago, there was that one, that one conversation seemed to come up, you know? And if we, if we took that and applied it to the idea of seed sowing in a garden or, or a farm, and we were just the farm hand that said like, wow, this farm is really not productive, but you know, you're not actually out there sowing seeds. Like that's not, it, it would be a much more, um, physically, you know, we'd be like, that's just silly. Like, why would we do that? You know? And so I talk in there about how we just have to think about kingdom potential, about the fact that every single moment we have the chance to either uh, direct somebody's attention towards Jesus or away from Jesus. And if we thought about it like that, then a normal Monday through Friday is just saying, as I wake up, God, I'm, I'm so thankful I'm part of your kingdom today that I get to be part of your kingdom work. I get to, as First Corinthians 3 says, that we get to be co-workers with God. Like, I get to work alongside you today. So I just want to follow you lead. So you let me know where you want me to minister to somebody. And so we start to think about like, okay, I go out to eat with my family, but it's not just going out to eat. It's a chance to share the gospel with the waitress. And that might mean something as simple as just a nice hello, or it might mean, you know, writing something or giving a good tip or whatever, you know, and, and we go to work and, and when we're at work, it's not just conversations with our coworkers. It's chances to kind of share and sow seeds. And if we start thinking like that, then every single moment when we're getting stressed out in our drive to work because there's so much traffic and we let somebody out, I mean, it's such a small thing, but every single one of those things over time, as we sow that much seed every single day, starts to add up to this place where people can see Jesus more and more and more. And I think we got to get out of the way of thinking that just when we sit down with somebody and we say, this is who Jesus was and this is what, that that's the only time you can sow seed. You, you either sow seed or don't sow seed every single moment of every single day. And sometimes that gets to the point of actually getting to share the, the true gospel message with people. Uh, but we got to think about the preparation up to that uh, as much and, and sometimes more important to get people to that place to actually hear it. You got to earn people's trust and respect before you get to share that with them. And so um, just the kingdom potential of every moment is so clear to me 
that if we all live that way, I think we'd see tons of people come to know Jesus on a regular basis. I think my friend just a few days ago, we were chatting here at a coffee shop, and he was sharing how, uh, I think it was just at work, there were several of his coworkers just, they were asking him, you know, how could you believe in a God who does this and is this way and, you know, so on. And, you know, what's interesting was he said about two years ago, he wouldn't have been prepared to answer those questions, but because of what God's doing in his life, then all of a sudden, those opportunities pop up, right? And and I think that's a cool thing, especially what you're writing about, that as we're intentional to think about those things, um, and that when we wake up in the morning and we think, okay, hey, I've got the opportunity to invest in someone else's life and point them a little closer. When we start thinking about it, then it's amazing how those opportunities begin to pop up, isn't it? Right, for sure. Um, What about introverts? I would, myself, I tend to be a little bit more introverted. My wife is the same way. Speak to people like us who don't find it natural just to go to speak to the our waitress or you know someone a random stranger about God. Yeah, I I'm one of those two. Growing up, I was definitely on uh, more the more introverted side. I feel like I've had to be extroverted to some extent, but I would still consider myself more of an introvert. And I, I think at the end of the day, I think introverts a lot of times feel because you know when you watch it somebody that's really gifted with evangelism that can just, I remember walking up with one of the guys that worked at our church years ago and we would just walk into restaurants and he just had this natural evangelistic charisma that you feel like you walk into a restaurant by the end of the time, like three people were going to accept Jesus and you know, he's just going to be talking to random. And I just sit there being like, I can't do that. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I wouldn't be able to do that at the end of the day. But I think what introverts miss out on is that we've got the chance to do a lot of stuff that those people wouldn't get to as well. And I think a lot of times what helps is that introverts, they think a lot more deeply sometimes than other people might. Um, There's a thoughtfulness that can come from that, I believe. And so my wife um, creates beautiful cards. And so she doesn't have to always be around people for that to happen. But by her sending out these 10 cards, I mean, when I met her and I was like, wow, just the fact that I got all these cards made me feel like, wow, this is amazing. And so she's had so many opportunities come from that, but that's something you can do sitting in a room somewhere. Um, so there's some, sometimes there's these thoughtful things. I think taking it out of the box that we have to, again, always be in person and stuff, um, is to say that, uh, sometimes there's that. And, and what I would talk about too, I was talking to a guy the other day and he was just talking about how he's so much more of a listener. He's, I think he's an introvert. He's so much more of a listener than a talker. And I said, Tons of people are looking for listeners, man. You know, he was telling stories in college how every single person was coming to him to talk to him about it. And he really didn't usually have much to say. He just asked questions. And I think, it, again, I think introverts actually have a better handle sometimes on asking certain questions, helpful questions, heartfelt questions that will help prepare people's hearts. Um, so if we just see our part of the mission, if we're all part of the kingdom of God, we all got part of the mission. And just realizing that our part might look different, but it's still really helpful in the kingdom of God. So when it comes to investing in the lives of other people, um, sometimes it takes a while for that seed that we've sown to really produce. And I'm just curious. I don't. I don't remember. You probably touched on it in your book. I don't remember. But um, how does that? How does that play out? If if someone is saying, okay, so if I invest in someone's life, when can I begin to see? you know, typically see results. Um, how do I know if I'm being effective? Cause we're so used to that, right? You go on a diet plan, 
you see if you know if you're losing pounds then okay it's working if not then maybe it's not working yeah how do you measure results yeah i think that's i i wrote something last week about that i believe for for one of the sermons or something and and i was just talking about how we live in a, a really results based based society you know it's it's so um interesting how we're kind of always looking for that and at the end of the day if you plant a garden and you don't get a harvest like that's a bummer you know and Obviously, the main goal is to see as many people be with us in heaven as possible. But I think some of the things that happen is when we're so focused on the results. One of the themes I tried to get across in the book, that if we think about this in the context of the kingdom of God and with the kingdom mindset, that at the end of the day, it's always God's job to save people. Like, we can't do it. And so when we think about it that way, that he's the one that actually does that work, the only thing that we can do as his co-workers, is really just to set up the environment in the way it can best happen. And so um, all we can do is to build soil. I, I talk about the three things, soil building, seed sowing, and sun sharing. And if we just do those three things over time, we might not. I, I've read stories of missionaries that were at a certain place for 30 or 40 years, and not a single person came to know Christ after those 30 or 40 years. But right at the end, as that person passed away or at their funeral, you know, almost the whole community was was saved um, because of their investment for 30 or 40 years. So I, I, um, I couldn't finish this book. I got to the end of it, and I just couldn't figure out how to finish it. And then in the middle of that time that I was writing, uh, my wife's, uh, Janelle, her, her Grammy passed away. He was 93. And we were sitting there the night before her funeral, and she was the sweetest lady. You know, one of those people that really lived out this seed life the, a really good way, I think. And um, she just had this a book that she had that she wrote quotes in. I have no idea who this quote came from. I don't know if she made it up or if she saw it somewhere. But it just said, I wrote this at the end of the book, never give up, never give up on anyone's salvation. You may not live to see the fruit, but plant all the gospel seeds you can. I highlighted that. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, and I just think that that's, it's, it's tough. I know we want results, and I think, but I think if God's the one that brings those results, Sometimes we just got to be okay in the mystery of, of it all and kind of just keep doing what we're expected to do in the kingdom. And he'll bring the results when he wants to kind of thing. That's And really, it's a big act of faith, isn't it, to trust God with those results? Like, that's, that's a tremendous, especially for people that are performance results-oriented. That, that is a huge act of faith to trust that ultimately the results are up to God, isn't it? Right, yeah. Well, hey, and, and oh, go ahead. Realize, oh, sorry. And, and just to realize that, like, there are times that we're maybe not doing it the best we could. So that that's to me the struggle too in my own soul, in my own heart, my own life is, um, you know, you want to be doing it the way God wants you to do it. And sometimes you're like, if you don't see the results for a while, it's like, wait a second, is this really working? Like, am I doing something wrong? And, um, so I think that is hard. I think it's why we always got to be so close to the heart of God and just, you know, just keep asking him because I think he's faithful to give that, those answers to us, you know, but, well, that's good stuff. Hey, where, where can people get the book? If you go on Amazon, um, just look up Seed Life, Engaging Every Person with a Kingdom Mindset. I've got it on there um, through paperback and Kindle. If you buy the paperback, you can actually get the Kindle for free. Um, so Dude, I just on- bought the Kindle, so man, I should have I done that. Yeah, oh, yeah, bummer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so Amazon, um, any website or anything like that? On our church website, I think you can get access to those. And we have a, okay. a bunch of videos on our Facebook page. If you go to Eastern Hills Church Facebook Facebook page, we've got some videos on there uh, that you can check out as well. Okay. Justin, thank you so much for taking some time today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. 
Well, there you have it. And as I mentioned earlier when I was chatting with Justin, uh, I love that illustration that he gives in the beginning of not just being someone who tills the ground, but someone who is like, you know, creating that soil and and, uh, in creating that culture where when we're around our friends, it's not just necessarily about preaching the gospel to them as it is getting involved in their lives, living with them. And, and there's that that dual thing where, yes, we share the gospel, absolutely, but then we also take part in their lives where we get to know them, get to know their ideas and, and likes and interests. And uh, just love what Justin had to share. And uh, if you want to check out more of his resources, get his book on Amazon. And But until next time... My name's Ezra Beyer. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 